much love. Episode 101, Daddies. Introducing Daddy by Elena Hawthorne and The Baby Arrangement by Moira Tarling. I was going to read the barbecue scene um, of them ordering the food because it was just amazing, but <laughs> I decided against it because there was nothing else besides how funny it was for them to order the food. What I'm describing here is when Evie is stuck in an elevator with Adam after she's, you know, she's trying to deliver this basket um, and she's running to him. And this is actually um, a mix of her inner monologue and his inner monologue until they start talking to each other. Okay. Okay. So at first Evie had understood the need to be challenged to fight the elements in the oil field and the boardroom. She'd known how the gnawing sense of failure that had always seemed to be waiting to devour him could only have been defeated by achievement. That had been the essence of his personality. He'd known that, and Evie had known that. She'd taken pride in his drive and ambition, at first. Later on, it had forced a wedge between them. It seemed that as soon as they were married, Evie wanted to settle down right away and start having children, even though she knew if they had small children, company policy would exclude Adam from the assignments he wanted. And that had been a source of Evie's unhappiness. God, the arguments they'd had over kids. And after only a couple of years, four or five at the most, she'd just become so stubborn and had refused to see, wouldn't be reasonable or even try to understand at all. Well, are you going to answer me? (laughs) She swung around and Adam recognized the challenge in her posture. She might as well have said it. Was it worth the breakup of our marriage? Or does it mean you've decided to come home to stay? Where to next? Afghanistan? Ghana? God, it was like she was clairvoyant. How many times had they laughed about reading each other's thoughts? But things just weren't that simple. I'm not sure. This assignment's not over yet, and I won't know what comes next until we're done. Like I said, we're ahead of schedule. Months, but it'll be at least another. I see, she said and turned away again. Evie. What? You see, even now, no matter what you say, work comes first, doesn't it? Um, why don't you come with me? Just try it, darling. Stop. This is the best I could do. Argentina's not beautiful, but we can travel to other places. I need you with... (laughs) I want a divorce, Adam, she said. As soon as possible, tomorrow. There's nothing else you ought to know. Oh, sorry. There's something else you ought to know. She turned to face him, and when Adam saw her eyes, he almost pulled the car over. The way she looked was almost scary, like a cornered animal, terrified, but ready, almost eager to get on with the fight. I have a baby, Adam. <laughs> End scene. End scene. Oh, um, after, thank bravo, you. Bravo. Thank you so much. After that moment, he almost gets them into a car crash with as a head-on collision with a truck. So. <laughs> yeah it's wow that's that was really beautiful thank you for that thank you so much i practiced Um, (laughs) especially that accent i could tell um you went real method and i'm here for it um so i was gonna read the non-sex sex scene at the end but um frankly i think there's no way for me to explain this one particular 
bizarre tangent in the book than for me to read it to you directly. So while Faith is pretending to be her sister Paula and realizing she's falling for Jared and doesn't know what to do because, you know, once he figures out that she's not really her sister and that she has a twin, that he's not going to love her. And besides, like, she doesn't get to be someone who has a beautiful love story because she, her husband left her and her baby died and yada fucking yada. So Probably because she wore makeup. I mean, obviously, because she had her own career and she wore makeup and um, one day maybe had a little self-esteem and that ruined it. Um, so he suspects that she's not who she says she is and basically tries to fuck with her by inviting a bunch of people over for dinner who have met her sister paula and so she's showing up meeting these people pretending she knows who they are and she sees this one couple who just seem so in love renee and faith just really wants to understand what that love is like and how it came to be so she asks them tell me about your love story and so i'm just gonna read this woman telling truly the most batshit story i've ever heard in my entire fucking life and i was not prepared i was not prepared i thought it was going to be some silly like meet cute or i don't even fucking know but it takes some turns so (laughs) oh and it starts with a very sexist um which any woman can relate to if you've ever had a dinner party so okay here we go while the women cleared away the dishes the men wandered through to the living room and it was then faith asked maggie how she and dylan had met Maggie related an extraordinary tale, confessing to having had a crush on Dylan, a lieutenant commander in the U.S. Navy, and favorite nephew of her father's new wife from the first moment she set eyes on him. When her father and Dylan's aunt perished in a plane crash, Dylan had come to Grace Harbor to attend the funeral. During that highly emotional and heartbreaking weekend, he and Maggie had made love the next day dylan had been called back to his base and as he neared san diego he'd been involved in a car accident resulting in a total loss of his memory nearly nine months after the accident dylan following the only lead he had to his past a letter he'd received from jared regarding his aunt's will had returned to grace harbor in the hope of jarring his memory He'd come face to face with Maggie, pregnant with his child, but he hadn't recognized her. Through the strength of her love for him and the birth of their child, Dylan had eventually recovered his memory and they found each other again. After hearing Maggie's wonderfully romantic story, Faith (laughs) found her thoughts turning to Jared. All evening, she'd had the feeling he might be seeking to reconcile with Paula to put the relationship on a more intimate level. Okay, so first, (laughs) favorite nephew of her father's new wife. So your stepmom's nephew, which is already weird, but you could have described it as your stepmom's nephew, but instead you said favorite nephew of her father's new wife. That's too wordy. That's just not good. It's not okay. So he's her cousin? But through marriage, I guess. I guess. Right? Because it's like the stepmom's nephew. Then... (laughs) You meet at a funeral and you fuck that night, which like no judgment, like get it, but a weird plot twist for a very churchy book. But then just in case you thought like, oh, this girl's just getting hers. No, no, no. We made sure to punish her with a pregnancy. The fact that he lost his memory 
of just the last nine months <laughs> and <laughs> forgets her <laughs> and then sees her and see like Shpipola, like the whole thing was so fucking weird and then it just never brings it up again it just transitions to her being like so then i thought why can't I be in love with Jared? I'm like, yeah, because in your weird <laughs> universe, anything is possible. Like full on amnesia is such a soap opera trope that I was just like, this is below you, Moira. You could, <laughs> you could have done better than the vanilla sky. Like it was all a dream. <laughs> Bullshit. Um, so yes, that is my particularly favorite excerpt that i felt there was no way to describe mostly because i couldn't even get the facts straight in my own head without reading it because it's the most fucking weird thing i've ever heard in my entire life episode 102 cowboys the cowboys secret bride by cora seaton and rodeo by christina grenier uh, you know what i'll go first because I don't know that I'll be able to follow you doing an Aussie accent. I think you might set the bar so high that I will trip on it. So um, <laughs> I'm just going to read a part of mine and then I'll let you take the stage and just blow us all away. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> hey, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <clears throat> okay. So again, our characters are Carl. Um, Carl and Camilla. Now they've just but he just got the ranch he's very excited um and he's proposed to her but again they don't know whether or not they can tell the apricots and the mountain dews because it could just be <laughs> too dramatic and war could break out i mean who knows <clears throat> does that mean we're going to tell the turners and coopers about being engaged hell yeah i'm gonna tell everyone he lifted her up and twirled her around I'm going, to marry, I'm going to marry Camilla Torres, he shouted. Camilla laughed. I don't think they can hear from here. Anyway, you'd better drive me back to town. I've got to help with the lunch rush. Sure thing. He set her down and led her toward a wide set of stairs. But first, let me show you the master bedroom. Oh. And it goes to chapter 11. He had waited too long for this day. It had been fun whisking Camilla away in his truck to park on back roads, making out, stripping down, and getting busy, knowing any minute they could be discovered. But he oh, wanted goodness. a whole... Oh, right? <laughs> but he wanted a whole lot more than that. He wanted to wake up next to her every morning and make luxurious love Ooh. in the comfort of a king-size bed. <laughs> he wanted Same. to end... It <laughs> Fuck your hay bales. He wanted to end his days slipping under the covers to do it all over again. This was the house he'd always wanted, on the property he'd always envisioned, with the woman he'd been dreaming about since the day they met. All his hard work and patience had paid off, and now he was having trouble believing it. Here they were, in the master bedroom of their brand new house, on the king-size bed he'd paid a fortune to get delivered in time. This was the room they'd sleep in, the view they'd wake up to. Here was the woman he meant to spend a lifetime making happy and then they start getting busy yes. <laughs> um she is very into titty a lot of titty references a lot of squishing of titty a lot of licking of titty a lot of sucking on titty just a lot of chesticle action um and that's that's my uh that's my passage of the cowboy secret bride by cora Seton. I understand now why she was a secret bride, and I'm, I was like the whole time I was like, why though? Why? And Same. So I'm glad. 
Same. Yeah. I mean, I'm curious about what Stolen Bride is, Forbidden Bride, Hidden Bride, and Outlaw Bride, which are other books in this particular series, Chance Creek. I hope the Outlaw, Outlaw Bride has, like, a gun. Oh, 100%. I hope she has shot up a place. I hope she has a body count, is really what I'm trying to say. Um, <laughs> both in bed and in the grave. <laughs> Oh, if we could only be so lucky. Ugh, uh, I love <laughs> thirsty women that love to kill. That's just like, I'll just say that right now. Yeah, oh, 100%. Thirst for blood and catching a D. <laughs> so, I am emotionally and physically prepared for this accent. Don't let me down, Renee. Don't let me down. I need you to do your best not to laugh while I do this. Okay. Because last okay. week you laughed and I was like, tweet it. <laughs> Uh, so it will not be Jimmy Fallon on uh, SNL. <laughs> I will keep it together. I will not break until the end. Okay. And uh, I have we, we at present we don't have any Australian listeners, but there may come a time where an Australian <laughs> listener might listen to this, and I apologize in advance. It's the best I could do. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> All right. <sighs> okay. Tommy's hands crept lingeringly up my back. <laughs> Stop you laughing already. I could feel every inch of his touch on my oversensitive skin. I wanted him there and then. I knew he did too, if the protruding erection up, my, up against my leg was anything to go by. Our breathing became heavier. My heart was galloping with excitement. There was nothing that came close to the genuine effect that Tommy had over me. This was how love was supposed to be. Neither of us seemed to be aware of where we were, and my shirt disappeared. I scarcely noticed before I knew it. Both Tommy and I were both in compromising positions. Laying me down, uh, it was delightful to feel the tickles of slight needling from the blades of grass beneath me. I want to kiss you all over, Tommy whispered into my ear. It was like someone had stroked me with a feather. I quivered longingly. Oh, yes, please, I purred. <laughs> I lay back and closed my eyes and Tommy did exactly what he promised with each and every kiss I felt closer to heaven his big strong work beaten hands roamed carelessly all over my body I ached for every hot breath to connect with my skin and as he left traces of moistness after each kiss I couldn't wait for his lips to skip to the next place he chose to touch upon Feeling his tongue trace from my navel all the way down to my pubic area, I, ch I was charged with stimulus as I knew what was coming next. As if my mind had ignited a reaction, I could feel my clitoris swell at a familiar tingle dance. <laughs> what clitoris? Uh, uh, I could feel my clitoris swell and a familiar tingle dance through my groin. I was ready for him. I ached for him. A slight feeling of giddiness engulfed me as Tommy's mouth devoured me. His tongue flickered it slightly inside me, and I involuntarily moaned out loud. Uh, I was starting to lose control, and with each flick of his tongue, I was closer to complete incapacity. I felt two of his fingers slide into the sticky welcome. As I bore down, I looked into Tommy's eyes. I observed his pupils enlarging. I was so turned on, I couldn't hold off any longer. My orgasm took over, and my body convulsed into jolts of seductive ecstasy. Tommy and I continued with our eye contact, and he seemed to be almost getting off of my expression alone. 
My troubles seem to float away into the sky, soaring off into the distance, making it all seem okay again. If only life were that simple. Christ, Diva, you look so beautiful when you come. <laughs> transported how about you <laughs> i mean i feel like i was in melbourne in november <laughs> i feel like i'm right there episode 103 bougie bitches contracted to her greek enemy by annie west and seduction and sacrifice by miranda lee so i literally had no idea that you were reading an australian <laughs> author and that i too was reading an australian author um they horny down under apparently oh yeah that's the epic <laughs> Or in this case, the, the bush. In the bush. Yeah, I, think, I think my character's from Melbourne. So, you know, she's a little more high end. Um, <laughs> she classy. You know, she's not living in a ditch anywhere. <laughs> um, but she did grow up impoverished. I think that's a common theme where like our, our bitches are, are poor and they're kind of saved by these rich, rich bastards. So totally. Okay, here we go. And you think things are different now because you're paying me? <laughs> They're absolutely different. And not because I'm paying you. He shook his head. I've never and never will pay for a woman in my bed. This, what's up, what's between us has nothing to do with money. <laughs> That's everything to do with money. <laughs> um, Steph folded her arms across her chest, holding in her madly pounding heart. Then what's changed? You've changed. His night dark eyes pinioned her. You've lost that wounded look as if I'm the big bad wolf. Instead, you look at me the way a woman does when she wants a man. Steph's chest rose hard on her shocked intake of air. You don't deny it. His voice was soft as a summer breeze, warm as seduction. Oh, I don't deny it. You're paying me a fortune to pretend to be your lover. Of course I look at you fondly. I have to be convincing fondly. Slowly, he shook his head. <laughs> it's more than that. You're not that good an actress. Steph's chin shot high. You've got the ego the size of the... <laughs> Ooh, uh, a gene in Damon, Nicolades. It's not ego, Stephanie. It's facing the truth. The same truth I faced ages ago. I want you, Stephanie. And I've given up pretending not to. You want me to. In your dreams. <laughs> At least in my dreams. <laughs> At least in my dreams I get to have you, Stephanie. There, you're always willing and eager in my arms. Heat saturated her from the crown of her head to the soles of her feet. He dreamt of her, just as she dreamt of him. He had lain awake last night, too, imagining what it would be like if they shared a big bed looking out over the sea. Nothing to say, Stephanie. She opened her mouth and shut it. Bandying words with him was too dangerous. Every word he spoke tapped into the secret channel of desire within her that she tried and failed to damn. Um, I'm going to skip forward because there's... I want to get to the end here. Um... <clears throat> she had tried safety and it hadn't worked. What did she have to lose? As the thought surfaced, the voice of reason screeched inside her brain, listing all the reasons she was uh, this was dangerous. Because she's a virgin, all right? <laughs> she's a virgin. For once, Stephanie ignored the voice of reason. There's something I want. Her voice held a strange flat note, as if her heart weren't racing on the breaths coming in short gasps. Anything I can help with? 
He didn't move, but somehow he seemed nearer, the air thickening between them. Steph unfolded her arms and let them hang by her sides. Oh, I'd like you to kiss me on the lips. That's... <gasps> Which is her invitation. That's her invitation. Oh. Mm-hmm. There was some cockney in there. There was some Australia. A little cockney. It was good. It was solid. Yeah. Um, I am so ready for your Australian accent. Don't be. Okay, so I have to give this a little bit of... Yeah, a little bit of an intro to tell you that I'm apologizing ahead of time. Because I can't (laughs) do accents for shit. And I should because my mother is an actress and an incredible impersonator and she can do accents like no one i've ever met and i cannot the other thing that is really going to work against me is i was in australia in november (laughs) i worked there for several weeks so i've been i know what they sound like still can't do it so what i've chosen i was debating between a spicy scene and this particular scene but i just really can't emphasize enough the fat shaming in this book and so Mm. you just got to really read it to believe it so this is chapter five um gemma is now living in this giant mansion with them she's deciding whether or not she really is in love with nathan she thinks he's in love with his ex-wife so she's upset she like sees them kiss and thinks they're in love uh and so she runs up the stairs to cry Gemma ran blindly along the dimly lit hallway, tears stinging her eyes. God, what a fool she was. What a stupid, stupid fool. Up the sweeping marble staircase she raced, intent on getting to her room where she could hide or cry or whatever. But as she turned right at the top of the stairs for the short dash down the hall to the guest bedroom Nathan had put her in, she crashed headlong into Ava. (gasps) Gemma had met Byron's kid sister earlier that day, and she was the loveliest lady. They'd had afternoon tea together and a long chat, after which Gemma had happily accepted Nathan's offer of a live-in position at Bellevue. (laughs) But the dear woman was carrying far too many pounds for her small-boned frame, so it was Ava who fell when Gemma collided with her, landing on her plump bottom and sliding across the marble-floored hallway to crash into the wall with a loud thud. A picture hanging on the wall above the point of impact was dislodged from its mounting and fell, just missing Ava's head. The corner of the gilt frame shattered as it hit the hard floor. Oh dear! Ava groaned, seemingly more more concerned by the broken frame than her own physical condition. Gemma rushed over. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, Ava. Are you all right? I shouldn't have been running. I'm not why do I sound like Forrest Gump? <laughs> I, said, I said running like running. Um, okay. <laughs> okay. I'm so sorry, Ava. Are you all right? I shouldn't have been running. I'm not usually so silly and clumsy. Here, let me help you up. Is that British? Is that Forrest Gump? Who knows? It was a, str- <laughs> it was a struggle to get Ava up on her slippered feet which kept shooting out from under her it's not, it's not you who's the clumsy one around here Ava said with an unhappy sigh I fall an average of once a week I'm just too fat <laughs> <laughs> I'm just too fat oh I'm gonna repeat that because it's really important that people hear what I actually just said I'm just too fat <laughs> <laughs> you're not fat Gemma said kindly you're pleasantly plump Oh and 
As much as I think these marble floors are magnificent, they're also very slippery. Ava laughed, her bright blue eyes lighting up. It came to Gemma as she looked into Ava's round but pretty face that she would be extremely attractive if she lost a little weight and let her hair go back to the brown color of her dark roots. That ginger frizz wouldn't have flattered any woman. How sweet of you to make excuses for me, but I am clumsy, and I also recently crossed the line from plump to fat. Why do you think I wear black pants and tent tops all the time? To hide the bulges. Same. And, and that's it. Episode 104, Historical Hotties. The Lady's Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia Waite. And Provoked and Beguiled by Joanna Chambers. So for this week, for my passage, it's a bit different because usually as for those of you who listen to the show, this is the part where we read a passage of the book that typically is very funny because it's very bad. Um, Mine is not at all. Um, And so I'm going to read you a piece that's actually just like quite lovely. (laughs) Um, Just to drive home, like their mission of showing up for each other means like this like this inherently political and that like we have to lift up other women and like anyways it's so good it's also how they describe that like teach tell each other that they love each other so they're having this like big fight basically not with each other but about the fact that she's being shut out because she's a woman who wants to do astronomy and people think she's a fraud and she's not and so she's like venting to Catherine about that so this is lucy who wrote the book she slapped down. She slapped a hand down on top of the stack of polite philosophies, the sharp sound making Catherine wince. Oh, I have to do a British accent now. Okay. <laughs> I was going through the archives and finding every single one of those women. I am writing to those who still live and asking them if they've kept experimenting, still observing, still collecting specimens in their field. I'm going to make sure someone remembers those women and their work, even if it's only myself. She broke off, chest heaving on something that was almost a sob. Her voice dropped to a whisper as if she were confessing her greatest, most agonizing secret. Because I am sick to death of feeling alone. You never have to feel alone. Lucy's eyes snapped wide at Catherine's whispered response. She caught her breath and turned toward the Countess with questions written plain on her face. There were rare moments, Catherine knew, where even the steadiest compass could shift. Bring a magnet too close to one, and it would twist around to to point to the magnet instead of true north. Sailors told strange stories of high and icy latitudes where compasses would spin and wobble like the legs of drunken men. For some months now, Catherine had felt her own internal compass spinning helplessly as the terrain beneath her shapeshifted. But the needle had stopped spinning now, stone steady, iron true, and fixed irrevocably. On Lucy Mahachani. I remember what you wrote, Catherine said. Nothing in the universe stands alone. Everything is connected, in real, mathematical, provable ways, across the span of the entire cosmos. As long as we live, we influence one another. You and these women you've rediscovered, but also you and me. I was wrong to ask you to leave. To stay there could be nothing permanent between us. Or to say there was nothing there could be nothing permanent between us. We're already forever. Catherine reached out a hand and slid her lamp over to blaze beside Lucy's, tapping the metal base with a deliberate finger. We thought we were separate satellites, but we aren't. We're stars, and though we burn separately, we'll always be in one another's orbit. The book Lucy was holding slipped from her hands and thunked softly to the floor. 
I was only leaving because I thought it's what she wanted, she said. A single silver tear spilled over and slipped sparkling from her cheek. I want you, Catherine whispered and opened her arms. Oh, shit. That's that's what it was. That was the whole that was it. That was chapter Aww. 14 of the <laughs> Ladies Guide to Celestial Mechanics by Olivia wow. Wade published last year. Yeah, it's that level of like like gone with the wind drama, but like you kind of get swept up in it. Like in retrospect, yeah. like in rereading it, I'm like, oh, I guess that is kind of cheesy. But like when you're reading it, you're just like, yes, Catherine, tell her. Tell her you are the moon and she is the stars. Like, oh, fucking fuck me up. Whew. So that's me. Ooh, tell me. Yeah. Tell You're going to read us the only part you did not enjoy. That's right. And, and I want to stress that I don't object to any sort of love between anybody. I'm a queer person. I'm here for it. The penis is in the face. It's just, it's not, it's not for me. And, and, um, and you need to know if listeners, you need to know for all of the years that I have known Renee, I have known this about her. This is a, this is a fact as, as true as any about Renee. She doesn't like yeah. dick in the face. So no. yeah. I will go to town on delicious lippy vagina. Like I will just go to town, but I, oh, like I don't. I don't want, I don't want a penis in my face. So that was my struggle with this book. And I'm going to read the scene because it doesn't even open nicely. It doesn't. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. The other piece too, is that even though this is set in Scotland, they make it very clear that David and Murdo both speak the King's English, which is now known Ooh. as the Queen's English or RP English. Um, so I'm not doing it in a Scottish accent. I'm doing it in an English accent. Do it. Okay. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> Ooh, okay. The clothes smelled of piss and rotting refuse, but when Balfour crowded into David, he banished those smells. He smelled clean and healthy and male, and David inhaled deeply as his cheek pressed against David's own, experiencing a moment of intense excitement at the combination of sensations, Balfour's scent, the power and warmth of his body, the faint roughness of his jaw. Even so, when Balfour's lips sought his own, David turned his head away, reaching instead for the placket of the man's breeches. Balfour gave a soft laugh. You object to kissing? He murmured in David's ear. The heat of his breath sent a shiver down David's flank. Such a shame. Your mouth was made to be kissed. David made an impatient noise of rejection at that absurd declaration. The compliment was almost enough to put him off his stride altogether, but having agreed to come out here, casting all of his reservations aside, he was determined to make it worth it and refused to be distracted. His busy fingers undid the buttons of Balfour's breeches, and his hand slid inside, pushing down the other man's drawers to expose his swelling cock. When David gasped at the thick shaft, Balfour gave a deep sigh of pleasure that gusted against the side of David's face. David lightly caressed the hard rod of flesh, then let his fingers drift down to the balls hanging below. The man's cock was like a vel was like velvet. The prickle of hair on his scrotum was provoking contrast that made David's pulse pound and his breath come quick. David closed his fingers around Balfour's prick again and dragged upwards. A bead of moisture on the tip of his on the tip spread stickily under David's thumb, while Balfour murmured incoherent encouragement. The wall was cold at David's back, but Balfour radiated heat and strength, 
For a few brief moments, David allowed himself to enjoy without guilt the feeling of being warmed and protected. But that was not the weakness he would allow himself to indulge in for long. Instead, he dropped to his knees, enveloping the plump head of Balfour's cock in his mouth. <laughs> and quickly, quickly swallowing the length down. The cobbles under his knees were hard and wet, but he didn't care. He took Balfour to the back of his throat, loving the way the man filled his mouth, the pulse of oh, musky flesh pressing incessantly on his soft, soft, soft palate. Above him, Balfour groaned and his long, strong fingers tunneled into David's hair, dragging on the short, silky strands. David's hat was gone, probably sitting in a puddle, but he didn't give a damn. All he cared about was this, bringing Balfour to completion in his mouth. Even if David didn't climax now, he would be able to do so later just from remembering this. His own cock was painful in his breeches, swollen with desire, but constricted by the tight fabric and his kneeling position. In an odd way, he relished the uncomfortable sensation. Strangely, it almost enhanced the delight of pleasing Balfour, and he was pleasing him if the man's moans were anything to go by. Balfour's fingers tightened on David's skull as he began to reach his crisis, his cock thickening and hardening just a fraction more. David consciously stilled and opened his jaw and throat as well as he could. Christ, Balfour moaned. Yes, that's good. Oh, I did an Australian there. <laughs> and, and, then, and then Balfour was fucking his mouth in short, efficient jabs. David did his best to stay still to accommodate all the hammering flesh. Ugh. But he tried to spare Balfour the scrape of his teeth as it was impossible to avoid the occasional catch and the resultant loss of rhythm. Impossible to not gag, not to choke, and drool a little. But it didn't matter. Somehow, it was the imperfections that made it so very good. I'm going to stop there because he's just going to talk about semen going down his throat. And I'm, oh, I'm not... my word. <clears throat> yeah. I need Ugh. I need you to know I'm really proud of you, Renee. You did Thank it. You. Thank you. Episode 105, Choose Your Own Adventure. A Girl Walks Into a Bar by Helena S. Page. So I've decided I'm going to take a shower. And of course, at this point, you have made it seem like your kinky wild idea is to shower together. So you're like, okay. So <clears throat> you exhale. Phew. Just sex in the shower. That's not all that kinky. Viagra or no Viagra, you can easily do that with a hot rock star in a luxury hotel bathroom with a breathtaking view. Plus, it's been a long, steamy night, so the thought of cool water sounds tempting. You imagine those big hands lathering soap over your body, and you start to get wet all over again. That sounds great, you say, turning your head and kissing the underside of his jawline, and then running your mouth up the side of his neck. He cups one of your breasts and rolls the nipple between two fingers. Your body is still sensitive after your enormous orgasm. So it's delightful agony. Sidebar, he... Mm, doesn't touch her pussy once and meanwhile she comes from penetration i'm like lies um he gets up and reaches for your hand come on then let's go you let him pull you up then you follow him to the master suite the massive picture window looks out onto over the jewel box of lights that is the city and there's a giant circular bed in the middle of the room okay so you're like okay whatever 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 shower um then he's like lathering you up and you're like ooh. Here it goes. <laughs> he looks down at you and you notice that his wet hair is plastered to his forehead, which makes him look a little goofy. 
You also register that he must have been wearing mascara, and it's clearly not the waterproof type because it's smudged below his eyes. You step back and watch in dismay as the David Bowie quote on his arm starts to bleed and seep, the pen lines dissolving under the assault of the water. Baby, he says, his face earnest. You nod, not sure you can speak. Will you do something for me? He asks. A little prickle of worry creeps up your spine. <laughs> There's something I like. You may think it's a little strange, but I find it really odd, he says. <laughs> and if you give it a chance, I'm hoping you might like it too. You clear your throat. Yes? How bad can it be, you wonder. Even if he wears makeup and needs Viagra and his tattoos aren't all real, he's still the drummer for the Space Cowboys, he's still pretty damn hot, and the sex earlier was incredible. Whatever he's about to ask you to do, you're fairly sure you can do it. At the very least, you'll consider it with an open mind. He holds you by the wrists, looks into your eyes almost pleadingly. Then he says, I really want you to pee on me. <laughs> you suck in your breath, concentrating hard on not pulling a face. Open mind, open mind, open mind, you repeat silently to yourself. What? Maybe, if you're lucky, you misheard him. It would really, seriously, totally turn me on if you would pee on me, he repeats, looking hopeful. Um, you say, you want me to pee on your body? You thought that was something people only did if they'd been stung by jellyfish. Oh my he god. He nods and smiles, that sexy smile of his. But he doesn't look quite so sexy anymore with raccoon eyes and flat hair that's revealing a bit of a thinning spot now that the gel has washed out yeah he says it's really hot i'll sit on i'll sit down on the ledge and we'll turn off the taps and then you can just pee on me wherever you want go wild <laughs> um you hesitate um I don't really have to go right now, but let me drink some water and get us each a glass of champagne, and then I'm sure I'll be able to deliver. How does that sound? Okay? His eyes light up at your reaction. Awesome! He shrieks. Jesus, you're amazing. This is gonna be so hot. You smile and kiss him lightly on the lips, then step out of the shower. You wait here, you sexy beast. I'll be right back. As you tiptoe out of the bathroom, taking care not to slip on the marble floor, you look back to see him playing air guitar in the shower. You hurry into the sitting room, water still dripping off your naked body. You grab a throw off the couch, it looks expensive, but who cares, and blot at yourself. You scoop your underwear off the floor and tug your dress on over your damp skin. Then you grab your shoes and your handbag and tiptoe out the door of the suite, closing it quietly behind you. You bolt to the elevator, laughing hysterically as you picture Charlie turning into a prune in the shower and his face when he realizes that you're not coming back. It's definitely time to head home to a DVD and a big bowl of popcorn. Or wait, maybe you should drop in on Melissa? She's never going to believe this. And then you choose to go home or go see Melissa. And scene. Well, you know what yeah. sounds exactly like... The guy from COVID-69. <laughs> it's true. This is like post-COVID. Because I was going to say like, you know, reminiscently like body shots. Remember remember life before COVID? But then yeah. this sounds like maybe it's like post-COVID and Riley, the punk neighbor, has grown up. He has. And he's moved from loving 69 to loving water sports. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was me. 
what are you going to um, bless us with? <sighs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna read the awkward dance scene. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm choosing not to read a sex scene today because the scene is just so cringy. Um, yeah. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Mac inserts a key into the massive wooden door and you follow her into a warm, perfumed, sh uh, shadowy space. She glides forward, flicking switches and lamps glow to life, revealing the most exotic apartment you've ever seen. Almost every inch of the lime green walls is covered with photographs, prints, icons, and posters. A black Madonna stands in an alcove. A string of Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras beads around her neck and a bunch of fresh poppies standing in a glass next to her. You spot a familiar poster of Che Guevara on the wall, but someone's outlined his mouth in fire engine red lipstick and pasted false lashes around his eyes. There's a tiny uh, kitchen alcove with a basket of seashells on the counter and a studio room with a huge bed piled with colorful cushions in one corner and a draftsman table under the window. Mac's feet tap across the hard wood, wood floor uh, between pools of rugs, some fluffy and pale, some rich and red. There's something strange about the sound of her shoes on the floor, and you comment on it. Ah, I'm wearing my flamenco shoes, and it's only the gallery downstairs so I can practice my sevillanas as much as I please. You feel more and more like Alice falling down the rabbit hole. What is she talking about? I promised you champagne, didn't I? She twirls to the refrigerator and hauls out a bottle. You're not an expert, but you can see it's the good stuff. Her strong hands make swift work of the cork, easing it out with a delicate pop. The straw-colored liquid foams into tall glasses. Your health. She arches an eyebrow as you clink glasses. Why does everything this woman says, says sound like it means something suggestive? The champagne is cool and grassy and you relax a little. Mac goes over to the laptop on the artist table and presses a few keys. The next minute, the sound of guitar ripples through the room. It's soothing, until a man's raw voice bursts into song, and invisible hands start clapping. It's cante flamenco, flamenco singing, says Mac. It's an integral part of flamenco tradition, along with the dancer and the guitarist. Historically, it's always been about passion. But why don't you sit and I'll show you? Uh, show me what? Her feet clatter, clatter out into a swift tattoo on the floor, a blur of precise steps. You blink. You're going to dance? Now? Why not? Tonight feels like a good night for dancing. Please make yourself comfortable. You look around, but apart from the office chair at the table, there's nowhere to sit. You retreat to the bed and perch on the ledge. You're not exactly into spontaneous outbreaks of song and dance. That's what musicals are for. But what's the worst that can happen? Mac moves to the center of the room and kicks a few rugs aside. Slowly, teasingly, she removes her jewelry, placing her chains, pendants, and bracelets on the kitchen counter, although the earrings stay. Then her body tenses, seems to grow taller. Slowly, her arms rise, curving sinuously above her head, her wrists and fingers, describing smaller circles of their own. Her back arches, her breasts rise and heave. Then she explodes, her heels cracking down on the floor, starting to hammer out the same rhythm as the frantically strumming guitars her feet moving so fast it's impossible to see the individual steps. You sit as if turned to stone. Time slows. You've never seen anything so sensual in your life. Mac turns and turns, her arms braced, her feet beating out a complex rhythm, her rounded bottom shuddering with every step. She seizes her skirt and swishes it from side to side, 
Sweat pearls on her bare collarbone and starts to trickle down between her breasts. It's clear from the way they move and jounce under her clinging lace fabric of her top that she is braless. At last, the music slows down and so do Max's feet. Then she bows so low it's a wonder her breasts don't spill out. It isn't until she clatters to the kitchen to gulp a glass of water that the spell is broken and you start applauding. She gathers up the bottle of champagne and flops on the bed next to you, her chest still heaving. That was amazing! I'm so impressed! It's not only an ancient art form. It's the most amazing exercise, she says. But it makes me so hot! Before you can think about what exactly that means, she seizes the hem of her top and peels it off over her head. Her breasts bounce into view, heavier and bigger than you expected, but firm and taut. The chocolate rose nipples stand out hard against softer areolas. You're out of your depth. But while you're racking your brain for the appropriate comment, um, did you notice you'd taken your top off? Mac turns to you, that direct look again. Would you like to touch them? You're tempted, but this is all a bit overwhelming. The wild music, the dancing, another woman's bare breasts, and now she wants you to touch them? You're intrigued and a little turned on, but you're nervous too. Part of you is eager to stay and see what happens. When will you ever get a chance like this again? But perhaps you'd better make an excuse and duck out before you get in too deep. Um, and so we get what are your options? Uh, your options here are <clears throat> to stick around and see what happens, or if it's all too much to you, for you, you decide to head back to the bar. Jesus. Yeah, so like... Oof. <sighs> You're absolutely no. correct, though. The entire time you were reading that, I'm like, this is every shitty theater kid that yes. would like, make themselves the center of attention oh my God. at every party. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's why I hate musicals. Like, it, I just don't. There's, it, It's not right. <laughs> no, that whole scene is just so upsetting to me. <laughs> yeah. I'm just and like, like you know, it's one thing to ask for consent uh, to be pissed on. It's another thing to not ask for consent to dance for somebody. And that's yeah. that's a whole level of evil right there. Don't do yeah. it. Artwork for the podcast was created by Karen McKnight. Special thanks to Press Start to Join for production assistance. For gaming and tech news, search Press Start to Join. Or on social media at PS, the number two, J Show. Connect with us online at Ravage Love on Instagram and by email at ravagelove.podcast at gmail.com. Mm -hmm.